0: From GreenBiz Group, welcome to Center Stage, the best of live interviews from GreenBiz Events. I'm Joel McCauer.
1: One out of every 80 jobs in the United States since the Great Recession was created by the solar industry. One out of every 33, if you include wind and LED lighting. I'm proud of that. That's more than the entire home building industry.
0: Jiggershaw is an outspoken, often contrarian clean energy entrepreneur who founded Sun Edison, which revolutionized solar power in the early 2000s. He spoke with Andrew Beebe, managing director of the venture capital firm Obvious Ventures, at the Verge 16 conference in Silicon Valley, about when residential solar makes economic sense in the United States, whether solar energy and energy storage are friends, foes, or both and whether Elon Musk's vision for an electrified future is brilliant or diabolical. Let's listen in.
2: All right, so uh, election season, and we were asked to sort of spice things up a little bit here. So we're going to do a little Q&A with Jigger, And for those of you who know, Jigger has a great history of saying some exciting things. So we're going to sort of channel the presidential debate, and that means that I just want you to try and be both candidates simultaneously. So on the one hand, say like totally crazy outlandish things that just get people fired up. And on the other hand, say super smart things that people have a tough time getting behind. So just get ready to mix those. Okay. Uh, I have a couple of different... he has no idea what's, what's happening here. Uh, I have a couple of different sections you can choose from. One is um, a lightning round. One is multiple choice. One is real, actual, difficult questions. And, and the first, maybe just to warm it up, we'll go with a real question. You founded Sun Edison, 10, 12, 2003. 2003, 13 years ago. Um, now the company is bankrupt. Obviously, you left the company along the way. But what, what happened? I mean... Give us the progress report there.
1: Well, I think, it. you know, obviously it's a really sad thing what happened there. Sold the company in 2009. But I think what happens is what happens in the coal industry and other places, right? A severe lack of discipline. I mean, they were bestowed with billions upon billions of dollars of capital that people gave to them based on the reputation of the people who started the company early on. And they didn't invest it properly, right? And... um, I think the same thing is true with Peabody Coal and the same thing is true with all the other guys who, you know, like just did stupid things.
2: And now um, you've also said somewhat famously that the utilities are headed into, or big energy companies are headed into a death spiral, um, yet NRG may be coming in to buy a lot of the assets left from Sun Edison. So is that, is that just another chapter in that death spiral or is there actually some upward spiraling happening?
1: Well, you know, I think that it's interesting, right? I mean, when you look at NRG in particular um, and compare them with NG, right, Um, the old GDF Suez, you know, if you really believe that we should be shorting coal and natural gas, then why not sell all your coal and natural gas assets to the, you know, the greater fool that's going to buy them from you? right? Why would you leave them on your own balance sheet and be like, well, we're going to make this 20-year transition to renewables, and then knowing full well what happened to RWE, where all of their coal and gas assets have become, I think even in the auction they did a month ago was worth like one-fourth of what they had already downgraded it to, right? And so like, and so the challenge I have with the, des- the desk, the dust piece is it's not that like it's inevitable, right? I mean, but it's true that none of the wood companies from the 1800s became big in the coal industry. None of the coal companies became big in the oil industries. And I don't think none of, any of those companies are really going to be big in our industry, right? It's not that they're incapable of doing it. They actually have all these legs up. And I think NG is trying to do that. They've sold their entire coal and gas um, fleet in the U.S. And, and Total and others have tried. And Total is trying. But Total is still basically an oil company with a little sort of blister of renewables.
2: Uh, so, I mean, uh, okay, like... so, so let's go to another thing that you said to me recently. You said that you were asking the question, I think rhetorically, when did utility executives stop becoming capitalists? I, explain.
1: Well, I just think that when you, like right to tour the soup du jour right now is Elon Musk and Tesla, right? Like, So why is it that electric utility companies are not clamoring to like sell more electric vehicles? right? They're basically saying, well, we'd like to rate-base... million worth of electric charging infrastructure. Okay, but, like, the big challenge is basically the batteries, right, and how much they cost, and the fact that the batteries are actually worth three times more to the utility than it's worth to the customer because the utility can use them for grid services. They can use them for, you know, load leveling, distribution grids, et cetera. MIT, of course, puts out a thing for 17 things. Then you say, well, how many utility companies have actually said that they want to rate-based batteries? And the answer is, like, zero, but it comes out of every single brainstorming conference in Sacramento that what should we do to save PG&E and SCE and the others, like, well, they should rate-based batteries. But they never actually say that they're going to. And the same thing's true with, like, you know, refrigerators or air conditioners, all of which can be demand-response related. It's nice that Southern California and just sign that contract with Nest for the first time to do that. But, it, it's, but at some point, you just sort of say, you know, like, it's, why don't you want to grow, right? Why are you, like, sitting there saying... I'm resigned to making $25 million a year while my company wastes away 1% a year. So why,
2: why is that? Like in unregulated markets in Texas, uh, customer retention is a near impossibility. Why don't we see people saying things like, I will give you a Chevy Bolt if you in six months if you sign up as a customer. And as long as you're a customer, you get to keep that car. I mean, it, it would obviously retain them as a customer. There'd be no question about leaving. And you're also doubling, in a lot of cases, their actual monthly So energies.
1: there's a longer answer to that. I mean, the, the, the problem with retail suppliers, right, which is Texas, is the retail suppliers are basically all regulated by Dodd-Frank. And their whole thing is basically, we don't want to have any long positions more than a year and a half, right? So they don't actually want any assets on their books. And so when you ask them, like you have people like Direct Energy, which has a mothership, that owns all these sort of other vehicles, right? But for the retailers themselves, they say, well, we get the fact that churn is our problem and we want to retain customers, but we don't actually want to own even Ecobee thermostats for five years because that's capex we don't want to spend. And so then you start getting into this weird conversation around 1970 CFO training and why people are like, well, I kind of want to do that, but that's not what I learned at Harvard Business School, so I can't really do that. at, at, at some point, you just you just sort of say, well, we're just going to compete with you.
2: All right. Uh, let's then move to the Magic Wand Department. This is my other section of questions in the Magic Wand realm. So it's November 10th, and uh, not naming names again, but the, the president-elect is picking the Secretary of Energy. He gives you a call and asks for your credentials. What would you say? <laughs> I, I was looking for that. It, uh, it
1: could be she, but I actually think that it's probably going to be Let's say
2: it's he. What would you say that gets you the job?
1: It'll be a she for a Department of Defense and for several other positions. But
2: You're already going to my wild predictions section, but go ahead.
1: All right. But what do I say what?
2: Uh, you know, uh, what would you want to do as a Secretary of Energy? Well, Fed- so, so the
1: Department of Energy has always been about a grant-making agency, right? It basically just gives out a grant for research, etc. But I think that the promise of the Department of Energy is different, right? When you think about Jimmy Carter and what he did, like, you know, when it was sort of created. It was really about saving us from the Arab oil crisis, right? So we've invested all this money in R&D. And now we have all these technologies. That's what really Verge is about. It's like, here's the microgrid outside. Here's all this stuff. And then then the question then becomes, like, how do we use this as a way to remake the U.S. economy, right? How do we use foreign oil that we're importing? How do we use all these other sort of levers to generate extraordinary amounts of jobs. I mean, one out of every 80 jobs in the United States since the Great Recession was created by the solar industry. One out of every 33, if you include wind and LED lighting. I'm proud of that. That's more than the entire home building industry, right? And most of them are blue collar workers. And so I feel like DOE has hamstrung itself by saying we're only a research institution. We're not allowed to actually figure out how to deploy these reports that we write every year at scale. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, my advice to them would be, why don't you unleash American innovation? And, And it's not around just the invention part of it, but also, you know, like, help America learn how to do big things again and deploy at scale. Who was the better president for the environment, George Bush
2: or Barack Obama?
1: Well, look, I mean, you know, it's a hard question because the thing about George W. Bush is that everyone always wants to you know, say negative things about him. But he really is the father of the modern wind industry, right? It's his work in Texas that really, I think, unlocked wind power. Um, I think when you look at the energy plan, which Dick Cheney wrote in 2001, 2002, you know, George W. Bush made sure that there was a solar component in there. It took him until 2005 to pass the energy bill. But, you know, he gave us an eight-year extension of the ITC in 2008 before Obama got in office. And look, I think the president... President Obama has done amazing things, but I don't give him a lot of credit for the, you know, soup and the stew that was created in the stimulus bill, right? I mean, that was just all shovel-ready projects, which we happen to be good at. And then I think it was Podesta that came in in 2011-12 that really, like, got this president, you know, lined up around climate, and I'm glad he has because I think this president's going to have a tremendous legacy around climate.
2: Which, this is the multiple choice section, which state has the most forward-thinking regulators on energy, and your choices are New York, California, Hawaii, or Florida? I'm just kidding, just kidding about Florida. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's in the first three.
1: Well, I think that, you know, it all started in Texas, right? I mean, I think the most forward regulators were Pat Wood and those guys back in 2000 and, you know, 2001, um, who then went to the FERC. The reason California is not a go away winner is that, you know, Mike Peavy, you know, bless his heart, like, you know, continue to try to maintain the status quo while accommodating innovation, right, which led to, I think, a lot of um, rate increases in California. A lot of the stuff that we worked on together actually prevent you from having to do, you know, mainstream utility investments because we're one-tenth the cost of achieving the same reliability. Um, you which, can throw Texas. That's a write-in if you want to. Yeah, well, so I think Texas started it. I don't know that they're still there. And then I think what's, what's happening in New York is they're actually putting into law what I just said, right? They're actually forcing the utility companies to no longer get a free pass and saying when you want to do a $200 million upgrade of a distribution uh, station, substation, you have to actually prove to us that there aren't 10 other approaches that are way cheaper grid edge technologies, demand response, load control, all things that are being promoted by folks at this conference but never got a fair shake. And so, and, and California is still not doing that. And so, I mean, that's where I, th- where I think New York is really, they haven't succeeded, but that's where I think they're trying to win. Hawaii, I mean, look, I love Hawaii, but, you know, they're mostly just forced to be innovative because, I mean, literally, they wouldn't be able to maintain reliability if it wasn't for... Um, all of the work they're doing with NREL and but all just the Just because, stuff.
2: I mean, they may be forced to do it, but they're, if they're going to show everyone, maybe they're the, the test case or the lab in their size, but then they show the other larger states what to do.
1: Yeah, I, but look, I give points to people for intentionality, not for lucking their way into something, right? I mean...
2: Lucking <laughs> their I way into being just the saying that, like, isolated land Look, in the
1: 2007 the Energy Policy Act, we set aside money for Hawaii to write a plan to be 100% renewable energy, right? So they got $100 bucks, and they got to basically write this plan. Then, you know, they said, well, let's kind of try it. Let's maybe do it. And then Nextera comes in and says, we're going to buy you. And, oh, by the way, 100% renewable energy is impossible, right? And so then the governor says, oh, man, you guys suck. And so then there's this huge, like, sort of brouhaha, and they finally canceled the the merger, right? And, and every time, you know, they first limited us to 10% renewable energy per distribution substation, then NREL said they could go to 30, and now it's 125% of each substation, all of which is amazing, and I've got great friends in Hawaii, but I'm just saying that, like, do you believe that Hawaii is going to get to 50% renewables faster than California?
2: Okay, so, so next question, your prediction, which state will be the first to get to 100% renewable?
1: Well, if they had their druthers, it'd be the backward state of Washington. But they're not there. I mean, you know, poor Jay Inslee, like the climate change governor, like, won't even like talk about it. It's, it's maddening to me. You've got Microsoft and Amazon and Boeing and everyone doing extraordinary work. They're already at 77% renewables with their hydro. Okay, so
2: you're not going to answer that question. What's, what's your... Okay, moving on. on. We're going to go to my next section, which is $0 billion markets, one of my favorite topics. So $0 billion markets, this is a quick reaction, one sentence, fuel cells, go. No. (laughs) High concentration PV. Never. Never,
1: okay. Um, Well, and the reason is, is because, like, low concentration PV just keeps getting cheaper. I mean, like, every time high concentration PV says it's going to get there, like, low concentration PV beats them.
2: Okay, let's do who wins, Chevy Bolt or Model 3? Chevy Bolt. All right. I don't Uh, think the
1: Model 3 is going to come out until 2019, do you? uh,
2: Yeah, well, there is a. You got to be in it to win it, which is one thing. You know, if you're talking about things that are. The Bolt, I think, is going to come out next year. Okay, let's go. Final question, and then if there's a sidebar, we do that. But is DG inherently, like by definition, is DG good? And you could throw in, like, what's a microgrid, really? Because that might fall into the $0 billion market if we're not careful. Like, if if your utility offers you 100% renewable power, 100%, why would you put solar on your rooftop? So is there something inherently natural, like, inalienable right about DG that just makes it great? Yes. What is that thing?
1: I don't know. The American way? Like, independence? Like, you know, giving the utility the middle finger? Mm. I mean... There's lots of things, like if if someone came to me and said, if you sign here, I will give you power, 100% renewable energy power from a community solar station that's 200 miles away, right, versus saying I'm going to put solar on your roof and so your child can actually see it every day and you can tell all the people that come to your dinner party that I'm better than you.
2: Except that those people will of course say, I'm really, because I've got solar, too, and it's just cheaper.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so how many kudos do you get for that? It's like you signed a contract for 100% renewable energy or you buy Rex or whatever it is that you did. Like, how many kudos are you are going to get versus if you had an electric vehicle in your driveway and, like, solar on your house? You're going to get way more street cred for doing that, right? And you know that, that that's what's driving it, right? That's why the Tesla-Solar City merger is so amazing. You've got two street cred companies coming together.
2: Do we have time for a question
1: over there? I guess so. So, um, Jigger, you got a
2: lot of fanboys online right now, and they are just really jazzed about this conversation. And thank you for your Christian Slater com- uh, impressions here nice. at AntriVV. So, um, quick question, really broad. Um, what are you the most excited about? What is really just getting you the most excited in terms of true market transformation? And what are you the most optimistic about, I guess?
1: So, the last panel, that was up here was, you know, um, GE and Walmart. And uh, Andrew and I have been doing this a long time, and I'd like to spin the question over to Andrew, but, like, we've been doing this a long time, and the fact that we're not talking about innovation right now excites me so much. I am so tired of innovation all the time, right? What GE Current's doing and Walmart's doing is saying, screw innovation, we are deploying at billion-dollar scale. We're deploying stuff that's already ready to go, LED lighting or solar PV or EVs or whatever. All these cottage industries that we never gave any respect to, we are now going to put the full weight of our company behind deploying them at scale, right? What do you think?
2: Look, I'm an innovation investor, so I guess we don't really. Um, once again, there might be some disagreement. But uh, no, I th- of course, I totally agree. It's terrific that that's happening. However, I'm also very pleased that in the world of venture and early stage companies, like the companies that came up, uh, amazing companies that presented um, half, an hour ago, we're just seeing a transition from clean tech or some sort of sideshow at a typical conference to this being front and center, center stage, and now... Clean tech is tech tech, and sustainability tech is just tech. And it reminds me of e-commerce just becoming commerce again because it was embedded into the fabric of business. And Walmart, for sure, and GE are proving that every day. Okay, lightning round, one-word one answers. These are your predictions. Who will buy HECO? Uh,
1: a private consortium of investors.
2: Hyphenated, but one word. That, okay, that, yeah. uh, final question. There's an election coming up. Who w- uh, we're out of time. Okay. Thank you very much, everybody. Jigger Shah, all, right. <laughs> all right.
0: You've been listening to energy entrepreneur Jigger Shah in conversation with venture capitalist Andrew Beebe at the Verge 16 conference. For more Center Stage podcasts, go to greenbiz.com slash center stage. And while you're there, tune into Green Biz 350, our weekly podcast covering the news and the people behind the news in sustainable business and clean technology. For all of us here at Green Biz Group, I'm Joel McCower. Thanks for listening.